Welcome to Notice That, an EMDR podcast. Here, you will find discussion on all things EMDR from MDR-approved trainers and consultants, as well as some co-hosts. EMDR is an approach to the entire therapeutic journey, not just reprocessing trauma. This podcast will feature discussion on the therapeutic relationship, understanding and using the original eight-phase protocol, and what to do to bring deeper understanding to the why behind EMDR and what to do when you're stuck. This podcast is an invitation to connect and learn together about EMDR and the process of psychotherapy. We are glad that you're here. Thanks for checking out this podcast. Notice That is a project of Think Beyond a listener-funded media house focused on connecting humans through therapy and art. To keep this podcast going, we'd love for you to support us on Patreon by searching patreon.com slash thinkbeyondhealing in your favorite web browser. And don't forget to check out our new merch by going to our website at connectbeyondhealing.com and clicking on the merchandise tab. Hello, everyone. And welcome back to Notice That, an EMDR podcast. Happy holidays. It's that time of year again, and we here at the Notice That podcast, Think Beyond and Beyond Healing Institute, hope that you're able to find rest and comfort and connection this holiday season. In years past, the podcast team has taken off a few weeks uh, from recording, and we've always reposted some of our favorite episodes to keep the podcast going and to make sure you all have content that is supportive and encouraging and hopefully inspiring to you in your EMDR practice. This year, we wanted to do something a little bit different, and we've decided to release something as a gift to you all and as a big thank you for your encouragement over the years in sharing the podcast and helping us reach more people. Uh, It's so near and dear to our hearts to support as many therapists as we can in their EMDR therapy journey. So this year, Instead of reposting previous episodes, we decided to reformat and release our EMDR supplement. This is an advanced EMDRIA training that we've included in our EMDR certification program these past couple of years. While we won't be releasing a recorded version of our entire certification program, the EMDR supplement is a video series embedded in our certification program intended to review the basic concepts of EMDR and support the basic protocol uh, with new research and an embodied integration of the traditional eight phases. We'll be releasing the EMDR supplement in a small series of episodes while we're on holiday break, and we really hope you enjoy the material and that it continues to encourage and deepen your EMDR practice. Just a couple things to note uh, as you're listening to the EMDR supplement. This uh, supplement was recorded for a course uh, within the Beyond Healing Institute, and so the presenters used language intended for that participant audience. So you'll hear things from the presenters like, as a part of this course, or throughout this program. Um, So even though this is being released on the podcast, we hope that this isn't too much of a distraction to you in your listening, Um, but we wanted to prepare you for these things within the supplement recordings. Um, So without further ado, this is going to be the first of uh, the small series of episode releases from the EMDR supplement. And for this talk, we're going to be getting into um, what is EMDR 
And so we're going to be diving into things like what is EMDR, <laughs> the title, um, but more so what is EMDR other than a modality? Uh, you've heard us talk on the podcast many times now, if you've been listening, that we believe EMDR is a full comprehensive therapeutic approach. And so we'll dive into that a little bit. We'll get into our definition of trauma and how we conceptualize uh, traumatic memories as well as symptoms, um, reconceptualizing symptoms as strategies. And then the uh, portion that will be uh, a part of this episode will um, cover the three-pronged protocol and state change versus trait change. So again, the intention of us releasing this is to help review some of these basic concepts, but also to deepen and embody or integrate them into your EMDR therapy uh, approach. So without further ado, um, here is the first of the EMDR supplement. Enjoy. common misconception in EMDR therapy is that EMDR is a specific intervention. What we really want to focus on in this portion of your course is looking at EMDR therapy as a full therapeutic approach. So if we break that down, it's the bilateral stimulation that we're considering the intervention. EMDR therapy offers a full um, kind of structure and process to go through in therapy, and the intervention itself is the bilateral. That's right. EMDR therapy is built on the theory of AIP, which you guys are pretty familiar with, and we're going to cover just a little bit more about it today. When paired with other evidence-based theories, the therapeutic approach of EMDR becomes even more robust and can be applied with a lot greater insight and precision. So what we have really encouraged is finding the evidence-based theories that can really enhance EMDR therapy as a treatment approach. What we utilize in our practice here is we draw from the AIP model, mm -hmm. uh, attachment and neurodevelopment, as well as somatic psychology. Mm -hmm. So as a review back to your basic training, the AIP model states that most symptoms are directly as a result of certain experiences or memories that have not been fully processed within the system. So it's in these experiences, if they have not been processed fully, they then set into motion a pattern of affect, behavior, cognition, and identity structures that then continue throughout the lifetime unless something else intervenes. That's right. The other theory that we really rely on is attachment and neurodevelopment. So remembering that our brains as human beings develop in an experience-dependent fashion throughout our entire lifespan. We never quit developing. Early life experiences lay that foundation on which later structural development will unfold in our brain. Relationships with other people directly shape the development of our brain's structure and its function. The third theoretical orientation that we find really beneficial in this work is somatic psychology. Mm -hmm. And so in this area, we're really looking at trying to break outside of that dualistic thinking between mind and body being separate mm -hmm. and really looking at them as one. So with the awareness of mind and body and the connection between the two, we are able to work more directly with the client's body, mm -hmm. be able to look at it through different lenses, hear the communication of the body, understand its intelligence, yeah. be able to note the different patterns that we see throughout the body and having that inform us and in how processing is going.
So now we want to talk a little bit about our definition of trauma. This is such a big topic that's being discussed a lot lately, and we really want to nuance uh, what we believe trauma really is and also what it's not. Um, I think that most of us when we went through grad school kind of came away with this idea that trauma was something that was easily identifiable, something like war or sexual assault, etc. But that really doesn't bear out neurobiologically. And so the definition that we want to share with you, we really feel like is a reflection of the neurobiological reality of what happens in the human body when we're exposed to something that is overwhelming. So here's our definition that we want to share with you. Trauma is anything that is too much too soon, too much for too long, or too little for too long, especially when in the, when in the absence of a tuned relationship. And that a tuned relationship means that we feel safe and connected with another person. I think so often our clients can come in feeling like the word trauma comes with a certain stigma. Mm -hmm. um, and with all of that, they want to maybe identify as not having any trauma or it feels very activating to consider what does trauma look like in their life. So it's really helpful when we can kind of shift the perspective into saying what is trauma for the body and for the nervous system. Yeah. Trauma doesn't just have to align with the client's rational story of their life but is what was the experience of that nervous system as it went through that event and was it determined tra traumatic for the system or not. One of the things that I like to share with clients is the idea that trauma is just another word that means wound. And there's lots of different kinds of wounds. And the way that we identify as a wound is the impact that it has on the body. So it's not about what caused the wound, it's about what happened to the body as a result of it. And that's why we can see so much variation in how one person responds to the same experience. It has to do with the impact that it had on them as the individual that they were and how resilient or not resilient they were in the face of it. Yeah, and I think we can find the word that matches for the client. Right. If it's trauma, if it's mm -hmm. wound, mm -hmm. um, overwhelming life experience, something mm -hmm. that feels um, connecting for them. We don't have to use the word trauma. Mm -hmm. But as we go throughout this course, we want to be redefining our understanding as the therapist of what trauma is so that it helps to inform us as we begin identifying what targets will we reprocess with our clients. Mm -hmm. So there's a couple of different types of trauma that we want to be really mindful of so that we don't lose sight of the entire experience of the system. There's traumas of omission and traumas of commission. Mm -hmm. So in traumas of omission, this is where we're looking more at what didn't happen. What did the individual not get to experience um, that maybe they needed? We're going to be giving specific attention to what physical, emotional, or psychological needs did not get met. Yeah. Those might be areas where a client wouldn't be very quick to say, oh yeah, I had this trauma. It doesn't necessarily narrow down to a single specific incident that represents that for them. It may be you know, a way of life in mm -hmm. which you know, the way that they grew up or the way that they developed. And so we're looking at these still as traumatic because the nervous system's experience of that will then determine how that is stored within their system. Mm -hmm. And these can be really tricky for clients to really connect with and identify, partly because 
these tend to be things that were just kind of normal within their context. Um, they don't tend to be things that stand out to them as particularly strange or unusual because in their context it was common mm -hmm. for these things to be lacking. Um, and so really exploring that with our clients and discovering together what were the essential uh, pieces of a, a safe and attuned uh, development for a child that they did not have access to for whatever reason. Yeah. yeah. The other category is trauma of commission, and this is these are ones that are more easily identified. Mm -hmm. This is where you may get clients coming in saying, yes, I had a traumatic experience, or these are the things I want to reprocess from my childhood or throughout my life. These will be those experiences that are where something physical, emotional, or psychological has happened involving that individual. Mm -hmm. And so they're a bit more easy to pinpoint and reprocess, but we don't want to lose sight of the trauma, trauma experience as a whole for the client and be sure that we are identifying targets that could include traumas of omission or traumas of commission. Mm -hmm. With traumas of commission, there's still some categories of that that can be a little bit sneaky for clients to identify. Um, an easy example of that would be in the case of spiritual abuse. Most of the time within that context, somebody is not going to be aware that there was something very off about what they were experiencing because that's part of their family, that's part of their culture, etc. So just because uh, some of these are easily easily identified, we want to make sure and explore even further with them to discover some of those things that might be hiding. Another important thing that we want to consider as we're working with our clients is what really are symptoms? Where do they come from? How are we considering them in our work in trauma treatment? So the way we look at symptoms at Beyond Healing Institute is that all symptoms are evidence of a traumatic impact on one's nervous system. Mm -hmm. So again, we're oriented directly to the, the nervous system and the impact on it. And symptoms are developed adaptations to those traumatic experiences. Mm -hmm. So one thing to keep in mind is that uh, traumatic impact can be experiences that occur throughout our development, including even prenatal development. Mm -hmm. So the minute that we start developing, we can be impacted by our environment. And that's why uh, you hear people talk about processing prenatal trauma with EMDR, which can sound really weird at first, uh, but sometimes for certain individuals, that's essential to factor that in. The, the stressors that the mother was under has a direct influence on the fetus as it's developing. And so we wanna to remember to ask those questions too, mm -hmm. um, because those experiences in utero directly after birth and early early in life even those matter and sometimes they matter especially yeah mm -hmm. and I think it's it's really rare for a client to come in identifying specific trauma they want to work on before they even have language mm -hmm. you know they're usually looking for these explicitly stored memories that mm -hmm. they have that they want to address and yeah. so it is our responsibility as the clinician to really be curious about those prenatal experiences postnatal experiences, early developmental experiences, and be recognizing the impact that those have had on the development and shaping of the individual. Mm -hmm. So it is really common that we'll need to go back and reprocess material that is stored back then. It gets a little bit tricky and we'll get to talk more about that later on how to do that. Mm -hmm. But just making sure that as you're considering your client's trauma, you are focused on those really critical stages of development. Yeah. 
Another area that we want to be curious about with our clients is the idea of material that may have been passed down from previous generations. So once again, this can feel a little weird to explore with a client, um, but we have to remember that when a body goes through a trauma, there's genetic adap adaptations that take place as a result of that. Whatever we did to survive that trauma is now encoded in our body and then we pass it down when we reproduce. And that means that the adaptations to trauma are then genetically passed down to our offspring and can show up in a body that did not actually go through that original trauma, which is fascinating and very tragic in a lot of situations. Um, but that doesn't mean that we can't work with our clients on things that they themselves did not experience but are present in their bodies. And as we get into the program, we're going to talk more about how to work that way. But as a little bit of an insight at this point, we can work with anything that they can currently feel in their body. If there is a state of activation, when they think about something, we can target that material. And it's also very possible to target material symbolically. So even if we don't have a clear story, even if we don't know exactly what happened, and even if it didn't happen exactly to us, it's still very possible to process that with our clients. This may take a little bit of psychoeducation with mm -hmm. your client for them to even you know, have a, an awareness that that is trauma for them or that maybe that is what their body is feeling. Mm -hmm. And so just walking with your clients through that process of exploring it as it feels safe to them. And then when that awareness comes into play and you guys determine that you're ready for that, we can then move into reprocessing those traumas in a fairly abstract way. Mm -hmm. So kind of reviewing back, symptoms are brilliant adaptations of the nervous system that aided the individual in survival at some point in time. So simply by means of the definition, these symptoms are adaptive. They were necessary at some point in time for the sake of survival, and there are ways in which the nervous system adapted to that circumstance to be able to survive. That's right. And this can be especially important to share with our clients because it's very, very de-shaming, right? To realize that even some of the most problematic ways that I learned to survive my trauma, this was just my body trying to do the best that it could at the time mm -hmm. and making sure that I lived to see the next day. Right? And so whatever strategies we develop to overcome that trauma and survive it, we really needed it, even if it's causing us problems now. And when we share that with clients, it's a huge invitation to let go of some of the shame that they may be experiencing around how they survived and to move into a place of self-compassion, which can set them up to have a much better experience with processing those uh, targets when it's time to with EMDR. Another important concept in EMDR, which you probably remember from your basic training, is the three-pronged protocol. It may feel foggy because it's like on day four, and at that point you've already had a lot of other material, but I want to bring back the concept of the three-pronged protocol and have us really break down how significant it is in our work with EMDR therapy. So EMDR references the three-pronged protocol as a fundamental piece to a comprehensive trauma treatment. So we have to address the past experiences, the present presentation of the symptoms, as well as the future anticipation of events mm -hmm. in order to really holistically and fully clear out a memory network. We have to be attuned to both all three, the past, present and future. Mm -hmm. Part of the reason why it is so essential to work this way is that this is how the human brain uh, works in our everyday life. 
in order to know how to show up in our present moment, we're always referencing the past, right? We're never experiencing this present moment in isolation. Our body and every cell of our being is using past experience to make sense of what's happening right now and to predict what's going to happen in the future. So if we want to see really systemic change, we have to address each piece of that puzzle because that is how our neurobiology is set up. So every experience of the past, whether it's desirable or undesirable, has an influence on how we experience the present and anticipate the future. Mm -hmm. There's that stacking effect. Mm -hmm. The memories that are stored in the past influence and dictate the experiences of the present, how we perceive them, what meaning we make of them, which then influences how we're going to anticipate and predict what events will unfold in the future. So as we're considering the processing of this, we want to be able to work through the memory networks in that order, if at all possible. Mm -hmm. Clearing out past memories, addressing the current presentation of it, and then utilizing a future template to begin to create templates of what the future could be now that the past trauma is resolved. That's right. And we can anticipate that as we move through that process kind of chronologically, if the client can tolerate it, um, whatever they had to do in the past to survive those situations are likely going to come up when we're processing. And we actually want that to happen because that's part of what is held in their system um, as a response pattern to anything in the present that might feel similar enough and create a triggered response uh, that brings up all of that old material from the past. So when we're processing, we actually want that material to be stimulated and present in the room with us so that it can have a chance to be released from their nervous system so it won't continue to be activated in the future. A really good example of this that I see often in session is when a client um, in their past experiences were maybe forced into situations that were uncomfortable or overwhelming without support. They just had to kind of you know, bear down and get through it, mm. move through it. They just uh, kind of pushed their way through circumstances. When they come in to reprocess, and I may be encouraging a slower, more patient approach, mm -hmm. and they're looking at me like, why are we resourcing? Let's get going. I just want to target. Handle it. Yeah, let's target mm -hmm. that biggest thing in my entire mm -hmm. life, and let's just do it. So that is an example of the strategies that were necessary when the original event happened, being called back into the present situation and utilized yet again. Mm -hmm. So there that comes in our role as the therapist to help set them up in understanding how that strategy is coming into play and how we may want to do it differently this time. Mm -hmm. That that strategy may have been needed back then, but now we have this attuned relationship and a supportive process in which we want to go through to help their system store the experience differently this time. Yeah. One of the things that I like to say to clients is just because you can doesn't mean that you should have to. Um, and we can talk our clients through the importance of really uh, letting themselves have the opportunity to go slowly and heal the way they deserve to heal, not push themselves to the absolute limit just because they really are capable. We don't want to undermine the strength that they have because that's so real for them and part of how they've survived. So even though it's recommended with the three-prong protocol that we do past, then present, and then future, there are some scenarios in which we would modify this for the benefit of the client. If the client has a present circumstance that is, you know, urgent, highly demanding, destabilizing, we may have to start by processing a experience in the present or a recent experience without necessarily drawing back to wondering what 
experiences in the first place, um, what trauma early in life set this up. Mm -hmm. If we are able to do this, but with the knowledge and awareness that still the past trauma is influencing how they're perceiving it in the present, we can then address the present experience as a way to stabilize the individual, as a way to reduce the symptoms around that. If we leave it just at that, what may happen and likely will happen is another present situation will arise. That's right. Um, the overall perspective and experience of the present will not change. We can reduce the disturbance around that single incident, but it won't be until we go back, clear the past trauma, and address those experiences that we'll see a more generalized relief in the present. Mm -hmm. An example of when we may make this choice is if somebody comes into treatment and they are coping with whatever distress they're experiencing in a way that is actively dangerous or damaging either to themselves or to somebody else. So if someone is in active addiction or maybe coming in with a lot of self-harm behaviors, we're not going to uh, look at the big past traumas and try to reprocess there right away because their presentation is so acute. So we're gonna go ahead and go out of order in that situation to bring stability and bring a lot more safety both to them and to whomever they're in relationship with. And once there's stability, then we'll go back and work with the past and then move forward from there in the traditional way. Another example where we may modify the order would be with a future template. Say for instance, Christmas holiday is coming mm -hmm. up and someone is gearing up with anxious anticipation of that event we can target a future experience and create a future template around that without necessarily going back into family trauma mm -hmm. of the past. This would be in a scenario where we don't have time to go into the past experiences, or maybe it's too dysregulating before this upcoming event. Yeah. So again, we can modify the, the three-pronged protocol, but we wanna do it with intention and purpose and a really strong understanding of in order to fully clear the memory network and to get the most generalized results, we do need to address the past, the present, and then the future. That's right. Another time where we might go out of order is if the uh, client simply does not have uh, the regulation and we don't have enough of a relationship with them yet uh, to move into the deeper waters of the past and so we spend some time in the present um, not because the present is so urgent but simply because what is in the past is so daunting and we need some time to build up the resources and our therapeutic relationship so that their body can really feel safe to move into that work with us. Without a lot of intention in this area, a pitfall that we can find ourselves in is a client coming in with a new crisis each week. Yes. And then we are doing this uh, top-down or surface-level approach where we are trying to um, reduce disturbance around present crisis mm -hmm. week after week after week. Mm -hmm. But we never get then back into the core issues or the root issues that would have a more generalized effect. So if we are going to address the current crisis, that's for means of stabilizing, but we don't wanna fall into the pit, the, the pit of just continuing to reprocess recent event after okay. recent event. One uh, caveat that we wanna be mindful of is if we do go out of order and focus on the present, um, and not address the past first, it is possible, not a guarantee, but it is possible that they won't be able to fully clear whatever we're working on. And the reason why is because we haven't actually cleared out the past issues that are feeding that present issue. And so that's not to say that it's not beneficial sometimes to work on the past, or excuse me,
excuse me, work on the present, it's that we're not going to have the same expectation of being able to clear it out fully. And so we're going to contain that little bit of distress that we know is associated to the past until we're really ready to go there. And we would share that with the client, be honest and transparent with them why that little bit of distress is remaining. And sometimes what we see is that actually increases the client's motivation and willingness to start looking at the past because they're organically discovering how so much of their present dysfunction and struggle is actually tied into those past experiences. So now we're going to talk about state change versus trait change. And I still wish that we had different words for this <laughs> because it's forever going to confuse me, but we're going to do our best to try to explain this in a way that actually uh, connects and makes sense. So a state change refers to a shift in the state of activation that's being experienced in the body in the present moment. So to move from a state of activation to a state of less activation or calm. Um, so examples of state change activities that we can do or techniques would be the calm safe place, breathing techniques, the spiral technique, um, nurturing figure, etc. cetera. Uh, one of the analogies that I think is useful when we're looking at state change versus trait change is weather. And in this case, uh, the state is just the weather of the moment. Right now, it's rainy. 10 minutes from now, it may not be rainy, but right now I'm getting rained on. That is the state of the moment. A trait change is a, is a bit more broad than state change. So this is when a state change becomes more generalized throughout the neural networks, and it results in differences that are experienced as changes in a broader personality trait. Mm -hmm. So as we're looking at trait change, this is something that can occur through uh, reprocessing as we go back through and restore experiences and memories they can elicit a trait change ongoing state change has the potential to open up and lead to a larger trait change as well mm -hmm. so some examples of trait change would be like no longer experiencing excessive worry feeling more confident at work or in your personal life or relationships Maybe being able to express your opinion when before you felt timid to use your voice. Mm -hmm. Even feeling like you're worthy of being loved by your partner or within friendships. Mm -hmm. Going back to that weather example, in this case, uh, trait is the climate of the region. Something that's a lot more uh, consistent over time. We're not looking at just the in-the-moment experience, but something much broader and more long-lasting. Mm -hmm. So resourcing in EMDR therapy is often considered state change. It's mostly oriented around shifting a current state or being able to regulate um, our nervous systems in some way. Mm -hmm. We can utilize certain resources such as like developing a nurturing figure, protective figure, and with the development and ongoing utilization of that resource, especially when it's paired with reconsolidating memory, this is what will begin to lead to that trait change. Mm -hmm. So that sense of I am deserving of love and nurturance because I have connected that nurturing figure back to experiences of my past where maybe I didn't have love and nurturance before. Yeah. So in EMDR, we work with both and we need both. We need to have techniques that we can use to produce that short-term state change because that's how our clients are able to do the deeper work to actually get to trait change. 
when we do this with mindfulness about how um, memory reconsolidation actually works, we're able to really leverage those state changes into potential trait change. And that's part of what EMDR does really well. Um, but it's very important, especially at the beginning, to be clear that when we're teaching our clients how to do this state change, that's not all of what EMDR is. And we often want to share that with our clients and teach them to, to feel the difference uh, between a temporary state change and a more long-lasting trait change and make sure that they know that we believe that trait change is really possible so they don't have to continue to use their energy every day to just manage their distress. We hope that you have enjoyed this podcast episode and that it will help you help your clients in the process of EMDR therapy. If you are curious to learn more about something that you've heard today, check out our website at www.beyondhealingcenter.com and go to the trainings tab for more information on our upcoming EMDR and case conceptualization trainings. You can also contact us by emailing trainings at beyondhealingcenter.com. If you want to stay connected, please subscribe to this podcast for more episodes, leave us a review, and follow us on social media by searching Notice That Podcast.